do we fix historic inequalities that continue to plague people of color, particularly in the corporate world? It is clear that our citizens are no longer comfortable with their traditional approaches to addressing racial inequality. The ones that contain the right language and practices, but are mostly symbolic and ultimately yield slow and often insignificant change. And so this podcast, The Equalizer Project was born through conversations with leaders who can share rich, complex, and powerful experiences of life in corporate America. I hope to bring awareness, to heal, to inspire. It is part of my calling, my personal mission to change lives, to leave others better off. This is the work of the Equalizer Project podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Equalizer Project. I am Brenda Ross Doolin, Managing Principal of the Ross Doolin Group, and I am pleased to be your host. Today, we are so incredibly honored to have a conversation with an extraordinary woman, Elizabeth Williams Riley. Elizabeth is an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion ambassador with more than two decades of nonprofit executive leadership experience. She is a dynamic motivational speaker and a sought after diversity and inclusion professional who works with Fortune 500 companies, school districts, and national nonprofit organizations. She has been featured in national publications such as Diversity Best Practices, Insight Diversity, and the Diversity Journal. Elizabeth has been a panelist for LinkedIn's Day In Trailblazer Diversity Forum and a featured workshop presenter at L'Oreal's Executive Women's Leadership Conference in New York. She's a graduate of the University of Central Florida and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Elizabeth currently serves on the board of the Capital Regional Minority Chamber of Commerce in New Jersey and the Urban Bush Women Dance Company. As founder of Dash Consulting, that's D-A-S-H, which stands for Developing Assets for Successful Habits, she boldly tackles the nation's unfinished business of equity and inclusion. Her approach to dismantling systemic and institutional inequalities is charismatic, engaging, and above all, thought-provoking. So incredibly pleased to welcome Elizabeth as today's guest. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Before we start, I have to tell this story about how you and I first met. So um, I am now currently chair of the board of of the Princeton uh, Mercer Chamber. Elizabeth came in, Uh, she was a speaker on diversity and inclusion. The way she was able to tell stories and bring to life uh, these real experiences and touch the heart um, left me 
um, honestly quite emotional and took me to another place. And I believe that in this work of diversity and inclusion, you not only have to touch the head, you also have to touch the heart. And I was so much better off after having heard you speak. So I just wanna say thank you for doing, for touching me and certainly for engaging that audience. Thank you for sharing that. It's so important to hear that kind of feedback and to get that insight from those who you work to support and to help and to inspire and encourage. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I've, I not only have I seen you um, on display there, but I certainly uh, know of your work and, and your reputation. But for the benefit of our audience, I'd love for you to talk a little bit um, about yourself, your background, and how you actually came along this journey of diversity and inclusion. Well, this is a, it's been a journey indeed. I like to call it a voyage right now. <laughs> so in terms of how I even entered into the space of diversity and inclusion, I think it's very important because my background is actually in advertising and public relations. Oh, wow. And to be able to do that work effectively, I knew that I had to understand people and to really understand if I wanted to market to folks, I needed to hear their voices. If I wanted to be a part of making people feel better about whatever product I was producing or supporting, I had to understand people's needs and understand the way that people thought and how people could develop relationships uh, with me and with others. And so I wanted to be more engaged in the public relations side of the work. And as I went along that journey to do that work, I also brought with me my ideals around equity, fairness, justice, and what that meant for me. And if we look at the business of advertising public relations for years and many decades, it has not uplifted the voices of folks who have been marginalized. Mm. And so often when we look at, media, social media, even today, it's not just what we see, it's what we don't see that begins to shape the imagery and the ideals and expectations for those who are different. And I saw a space and an opportunity to be more effective if I was doing that kind of work. And so I decided to get into the HR side of it, of diversity and conclusion. And I'm talking about the other HR, which is human relations. Okay. And so to me, this is about how do we relate to each other? How do we do that in ways that are meaningful, that are, um, they don't include that emotional labor of having to prove yourself or fight against someone, but how do we come to a space as um, mutual contributors, mutual learners? And that was important to me. And I was young at the time, right out of college, and I got a job in the space to do programs and services that brought young people together, communities together, corporations together, and really helped people understand what this meant to be more thoughtful about diversity, valuing diversity, to be more inclusive in the way that they conducted their affairs and businesses and so forth. So that was really the start of it. It was connecting my life in terms of my own passions and drive with what I wanted to do in terms of a career and and where I saw my space to create change and to succeed. Wow. Well, you know, there there are so many things that actually come to mind as you you share your background um, in advertising. And as you talk about, you know, HR, you know, the, the other HR. And what's really quite interesting 
there is this perception of what HR, the sort of traditional human resources is all about. There is a sense that in theory, HR is supposed to be at the center of connecting, but there are many that walk away saying that HR may or may not be effective as it relates to building a healthy environment, promoting diversity and inclusion. Um, Where do you see human resources in the corporate world and how effective they are? One of the things that's very clear to me is that when we look at this idea of human resources, it is core to most organizations. It is the the fabric that, or the thread that kind of holds all things together. Institutions are made up of people. HR has the resources in which people need to achieve their jobs, to do well on their jobs, to be supported by their companies, to feel a sense of um, understanding about how we work together. What are the protocols? What are the policies and practices? What are the cultural norms of the organization? They are the keepers of those things. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the initiators of those things. So if that is true, and that is the way that the organization is working, then HR is at the core of this work. Because no matter what you do, uh, HR sets the standards, policies, and practices. It comes from that space. And so all institutions are made up of many people. And the policies and practices of those organizations are only as good as those who enforce them. The level of effectiveness of HR in that space. So. So you got the framework that you talked about with respect to what we're supposed to do. If you were to evaluate, and certainly, you know, generalizations are dangerous to go to, to, you know, to construct, but if you were to talk about the effectiveness of, you know, what has, has HR really been what it is actually designed to be and what, what work needs to get done? It's so interesting that you pose the question that way, because I think that as we look at HR in terms of the industry, it has evolved in terms of its purpose and and what it was intended for at its initial place and to serve the, the employees of an organization has changed because employees of an organization are different. Right. When we were looking at how we get hired and who gets hired for jobs and affirmative action and equal employment opportunities, those things were all core to HR. And as times change, so does that purpose for HR and the functions and how you must function. So effectiveness is measured by your ability to be uh, current, to be relevant, to mm-hmm. stay in tune with the, uh, the evolution of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So effectiveness is not just about what you do for today, it's what you do to position the organization for the future. I often say you never know how much your past will affect your future until it shows up in your present. And clearly HR is one of those fields in which that is true. That's why you have to constantly go back and get more information, get more understanding, get certified, get upskilled. There's new knowledge, new information, new laws, new protocols, always happening within the industry. And so to be relevant means to understand clearly what is important with diversity, equity, inclusion. And I would also say accessibility, anti-racism work, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not talking about those things and they're not on your radar, then you are doing a disservice to the organization because they're not being positioned for the kind of success that they could have as it relates to employee relations. 
Absolutely. You know, it's, what's really interesting, um, what stood out to me was this whole idea of they've got to stay relevant. They've got to continue to upskill. They've got to really understand as times evolve, they've got to make sure that they have expanded their skill set. Mm-hmm. One of the things that sort of come out of that for me is I then realized that I almost have to be a jack of all trades, right? I've got to do all this stuff and it's all under the umbrella of human resources, but there's a whole nother body of work and discipline around diversity and inclusion. So then what I see it trending now is, and and I, I think I may have even joked with you at one point about every time I look in LinkedIn or if I look on social media or I look in Facebook, there's a posting about another diversity and inclusion officer, right, for a major corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet there is a wide range of, of, of perspective about the effectiveness of those officers. Talk to me about the importance of those positions you know, as a supplement to HR, uh, what's gone well? You know, what needs to get done? Why are they effective? Why are they not effective? Um, Are they really moving the needle in diversity and inclusion? I think one of the things that's happening and what we notice is that people are being reactionary. Hmm. They're responding to, they're not necessarily being proactive. And Hmm. so when you are in a position to respond to um, the business case for diversity, or litigations around this, or mm-hmm. that there is a gap in your services that you provide, or there is a assessment done that presents to you new information around what employees perceive to be an inclusive organization versus what leadership perceives to be an inclusive organization. So when you're in that position, you are seeking to have a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And diversity, equity, inclusion work is not around po- problem solving. It's around people engagement. Mm. It's around the human relations. It's mm. around employee relations. So it's around process. What are you intentionally doing to align yourself with the values of making people have a greater sense of belonging? Wow. What are you doing to align yourself so that folks don't experience emotional labor in the workplace because of their social identity or because of who they are? Mm. Knowing that the dynamics in our workspaces are changing as we're trying to seek out the idea of being more inclusive or more diverse. And so often I tell companies that you ask, are we diverse enough? Are we diverse enough? When you really should be asking the question, are you inclusive enough to be diverse? Because when you are inclusive, you have conditions in place in which people can function and operate, show up as their authentic self and navigate your workspace and also make the best contributions to achieving the company's goals. Without that, you create a system of dysfunction in which people struggle to set goals, struggle to achieve goals and don't get supported in the ways that they need to. So they experience higher levels of disempowerment versus empowerment. Wow. Wow. Are you inclusive enough to be diverse? If you hear me repeat that someplace else, I will (laughs) be sure to give you credit for that. 
Or, you know, there's studies going on around this Harvard Business School. There are a number of institutions that are beginning to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. Because folks will immediately go to this place of, we got to be more diverse. We got to get more people of color. We got to get more BIPOC. We got to get more women. We, we got to get more people uh, from different backgrounds, et cetera. But when those individuals come into your door, mm. they don't feel welcome. They, oh. they don't feel that they can thrive and succeed. And they often encounter the obstacles of your lack of preparation. Wow. You haven't done the work. Um, individuals in the organization haven't really been intentional and deliberate about what processes they put in place. They haven't done an assessment of their policies and practices and whether or not they're inclusive or they exclude marginalized groups. And so they find themselves in a dilemma oftentimes around, am I really getting these folks to stay with me or do I get them in the door and then they ultimately leave costing me more money? You know mm-hmm. how much onboarding costs. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And so the idea that you can't keep people for a significant amount of time to be with your organization and to help you achieve your goals, it's, it's a cost fact. It costs money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's, what's, what's so, so incredibly uh, powerful about what you shared was the, the notion of being uh, intentional, that, that your focus around diversity and inclusion really has to be... Um, not about fixing what's broken, right? Mm-hmm. But building um, the right kind of dynamic in your organization that is inclusive, that really can support a focus on diversity. So, you know, when, when you talk about uh, the dynamics in the workplace, um, it's often said that the dynamics in America are simply um, a reflection of the trends uh, of society. So what, what you're feeling, right, in the corporate world uh, is not dissimilar <laughs> to the dynamics of, of America. So can you talk a little bit about, just kind of ex- expand on that, on that concept uh, and maybe even describe what you think the dynamics of America are um, how it shows up in corporate America, um, and, and, and what's your reaction to it as, as a diversity and inclusion um, professional? I think it's interesting to coin what we see happening in our society as it relates to, you know, not just how we live, but how we work, how we interact, how we lead. Um, all of those things are a part of our diversity. Right. And so we get often in America, this concept of who you are often takes a, a more um, prevalent space in your, I, I, your ability to succeed. The who you are often fo- is, is where people focus their attention. But if we look at diversity in terms of being multidimensional, it's not just about who we are, it's what we learn, how we lead, how we interact. In America, our dynamics are, are rooted at its core in, in, in the idea of there are systems of advantage and disadvantage, where there are groups and individuals who gain and have greater access and are held with a higher esteem or value because of their social identities. And because we have a system that is deeply rooted in those core values, we struggle with them as we begin to understand and learn and live into those systems. Wow. And so those dynamics 
around understand there there was an intentionality around making sure who could own land who could not own land who could vote who could not vote who is considered human who is not who is worthy of who is not worthy of that was very intentional and is very deliberate it didn't happen coincidentally and so I think what some of the dynamics that we have in America and what we've been socialized, and I use that word intentionally, socialized to believe, have to be unlearned. Wow. And unless we are willing to unlearn, we can't set new standards of behaviors and attitudes because we have to unlearn to learn. Otto Schammer does some work around letting go to let come. That is also critical. If we are as a nation to begin to move forward, we have to let go of some of the values that didn't serve us then and they certainly don't serve us now in terms of how we treat individuals. Wow. How individuals are allowed to have access to and, and how decisions are made, what voices are brought to the table what voices are, are not heard? What was and and a big part of the dynamics of privilege and power is around who gets to be dismissed. Mm, interesting. Whose realities are are not acknowledged? If it's not my problem, then clearly it's not a problem. Wow. And it's them. They're complaining. Um, is 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 there? You know, they just can't. They just see the good in all of this. Well, individuals can see good when good presents itself. But when they're presented with brokenness and unfairness, they'll see that as well. So the dynamics of America, what you have presented to this nation, we are receiving it, we're living into it, and we struggle with it. So even on that privilege side, privilege, you may attain things in life with struggle. Right. But there are certain things around identity that you may not struggle with. So if you're a person, a white woman, and you say, well, I, I had to struggle because I'm a white woman. I deal with sexism and harassment and all these kinds of things. You're dealing with those things, but it's not because you're white. You're dealing with it because you're a woman. Yeah. And so there's there's some differences there in terms of how privilege shows up. And it's so difficult for those who have it to see it. But clearly those without it, they know it. Wow. And it impacts their outcomes, their the potential of their lives, the, their situations, their circumstances. And that's real. And that's America. And how do you get people to see what is not their reality, right? So they can, so I can see what my experiences are, mm -hmm. but how do I get someone to see, particularly in the work that you do, to see the reality that they don't live? I think that there is, in my opinion, people come to their understanding with diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism work and all of these things by choice or by force. And so when someone chooses to take off the blinders and chooses to hear and have empathy and to seek out understanding, that work is made easier. 
when folks are forced into circumstances and situations, um, it's met with resistance. It, it, it's met with denial. And so it's not that they're not able to see, don't want to believe it or embrace a truth. That's yeah. what makes it more challenging. And as an individual, as a practitioner, as a coach that's coaching for social change and providing and holding space for individuals to begin to reassess and reimagine their own lives around how do I do this? How do I think about myself differently? How do I see others differently? I have come to understand you cannot train away bigotry. This mm -hmm. is rooted in and centered around the choices you make. Wow. And the filters in which you operate because we all have them. Wow. And, and I think that's what makes this work um, so much more uh, necessary. It makes it so much more challenging because it's not done without the emotional labor, particularly as a woman of color. Um, you know, when you see people who are dealing with their own prejudices and their own ideals of supremacy, they hurt too. They miss out on opportunities when they can't see me for who I am. Wow. And I have to see that value and worth in myself to even acknowledge their struggle. And the same is true on the other side. Absolutely. Wow. So you've, you've left me a bit silent here. <laughs> so There's I- power in silence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, I needless to say, there are uh, thousands of questions that I could ask you, and I could certainly listen to you talk, um, just because, as I mentioned, I've been inspired by being in, just in the room while you've been talking to uh, an audience who you may or may not have had the opportunity to meet with each person individually, but knew thematically what the, what the dynamics were and could speak to those. And that quite frankly is really quite powerful, but I, I won't keep you all, all day, all night, <laughs> but <laughs> there's probably just a couple of questions I wanna ask you. One is um, if there is a story um, that you could share over your kind of more than two decades you know, working with corporate leaders um, that really could capture the essence of corporate America and perhaps even the unique experience of people of color that you could share that of a corporate executive, um, you know, listening to us. What would you share if you if you want to talk about share what you believe could be the unique experience of people of color in the corporate world? One of the things that I have uh, I find that is uh, very prevalent, particularly as it re relates to people of color in the workspace and BIPOC folks entering in corporate arenas, is that corporations in the corporate world has yet to understand the reality that there are intersections of diversity, equity, inclusion with social justice. Mm. And when people walk into your workspace, they cannot turn that off. Wow. They walk into the workspace with the multiple identities and lived and learned experiences that got them to your space. 
And to think that they should somehow change their mannerisms, look differently, embrace what you consider to be normal or shift in terms of their ability to communicate or to be their authentic self causes such emotional labor for people of color in, in the, it, particularly in corporate spaces. And when these individuals are considered the diversity, wow. and when they are held to standards in which you measure them by every other person that looks like them, again, the struggle becomes um, taxing. In ways that others who enter your workforce do not carry that same burden. And so for people of color to be able to show up as their authentic self and to be considered as valuable contributors is a very powerful way to exist within a corporation. And there is value and just appreciating who they are and how they get to that space. I've recently heard about how when their applicants that put they are part of sororities or fraternities on their application, they get thrown in the trash. Mm. When you don't as a corporation understand the divine nine is one of the most powerful entities in this country for black educated professionals, Wow. You miss out on the quality in your workforce. Absolutely. So there is so much that when acknowledged and fully embraced, it makes the workspace richer. And we have to understand that because oftentimes we dummy down ourselves mm-hmm. or we try to get along in certain situations. And I've recently been coaching uh, top executives, Black women, around not, elect, not letting go of who you are as your authentic self because who you are makes connections to the bottom line. Absolutely. It makes connections to every other person that you work with in ways that can be significant for an organization if they acknowledge it. So those lessons are valuable to people of color and they are so important that being able to be my authentic self is not just about representing my race or my ethnicity. It's about representing who I am and my lived and learned experience and what I can offer you through my expertise. So incredibly powerful. I listen to your response um, and hear that there's a lesson for corporate America and yes. there's also a, a lesson for those of us who are people of color in corporate America. Absolutely. Embracing people of color and people of color embracing the value that they bring to the workplace. Absolutely. And, um, and certainly as a member of the divine nine, I appreciate that. comment. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, one of the things that I'm a a big fan of is, you know, at the end of the day, we, we certainly look to educate. We look to, um, bring awareness, we also look to inspire. And there are two ways that things that really inspire me, they're quotes and music. (laughs) So (laughs) 
I am going to ask you uh, for either your favorite quote or a quote that uh, essentially describes the essence of what of the message that you wanted to leave with us today. And of course, uh, a song that could capture that as well. Well, I shared this earlier and, and it's mine and I believe this to my core that you never know how much your past, you never know how much your past will affect your future until it shows up in your present. Wow. And for me, that has been the, the guiding force in my own life. Because it then takes away all of others' views and perspectives, but it gives me my own. And it centers me in that understanding. And that who I I continue to become and and evolve into is is relevant at all stages. And so that for me is, is my guiding light in terms of uh, my quote. And I, and I, that's my quote. I don't attribute it to anyone else, but it is what guides me. And the song that I, I, I believe that it, it speaks to me is India Irie, uh-huh. I Am Light. Ah, I love that. And love- um, th- it inspires me so much because, you know, I, I'm married. I have a partner. My husband is an amazing man. And uh, we come from very different worlds. Uh, I live in a Jamaican household. But one <laughs> of the things we, we share in common is our, our love of life. And we love conversation. And one of, one of the things that we talk about is this idea of cliches. Mm. You often hear people say there's light at the end of the tunnel. And right. that's supposed that inspires and encourages people to go on. But we believe you have to start with that light at the beginning to get you through the tunnel. Absolutely. So wow. instead of waiting to the end for the light, use the light from the beginning to get you through. And so that I am light, it just resonates with me. Absolutely. Well, you know, but you know, the next thing I'm doing as soon as we finish talking is I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go play that song. <laughs> it is, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. Well, it, needless to say, it has been an absolute joy to talk to you. Um, I have left. Um, as we try to do leave people better off, you've definitely left me better off. I know the audience uh, has been inspired, has been educated. They are certainly in a better place. I appreciate you spending the day with us. Thank you so much. This is the starting point, not the finish line. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All right. It has been. again for joining us today. We would love to share additional tools and strategies that can help you make the best decisions for your career or to build a dynamic and forward-thinking environment. Please visit the services page on our website, therossdoolinggroup.com.